Hi besties, welcome back, or hi if you're new. I'm Mary, this is my podcast Life Gets Weird, where we talk about the weirdness of life. Today's episode is going to be an advice episode. I asked for people's questions and things they need advice on, and this is what you guys wanted to hear, I guess. So yeah, I mean, I'll do my weekly update, which never changes. I've literally just worked out every single day and cried and done some revision because it's exam week. And yes, I'm recording this when I have everything due in about four hours, but you guys are my priority, okay? Anyways, um, oh, also slight update in like, things I'm looking forward to. My Pilates studio opens next week and I haven't been in forever and I'm so excited to finally sweat it all out on a mat. It's been ages. Doing Pilates at home really isn't the same. Um, Like I have my little Lululemon yoga mat and my Pilates online subscriptions, but it's not the same. I love being in a studio. I love how zen it makes me feel. I love how strong I feel. So yeah, roll on, is it May 17th? Is that what Monday is? Yeah, I think so. But yeah, that's cool because normal life is coming back, kind of. I mean, I know we'll never be normal again, but it's something to look forward to and you have to find the small things that make you smile and get you through the hard times. Anyways, with all that being said, let's just get straight into your guys' questions. Actually, before I start, is your guys' English because I never used to say that, and then I heard people say it all the time, and now every time I say it, I'm like, I'm sure that doesn't make sense. But let's get into the questions anyway, just a little brain ramble we had there. So let's start with the first question. I'm just like reading them in the order that they were asked. Um, so someone said, advice on doing things alone, like traveling and going out to eat, etc. And I love this question and I'm very excited to answer it because I was very much someone who just never wanted to go out alone. Not because I enjoy other people's company, but because the idea of just being exposed in that way was terrifying for me. And I realized that I couldn't wait for people to live my life with me because it was my life. And if I had to keep waiting for people to do things with me, I would miss out on so many opportunities. And so most of the countries I've traveled to, I've gone by myself. Um, Even if I haven't spent the holiday by myself, I probably flew there by myself. And more often than not, I do spend the holiday by myself anyway. And it started when I went to Amsterdam when I was 18. And it was literally as soon as I turned 18, I was like, I'm going. I asked my mom if she could buy me flights as a Christmas present and I paid for my Airbnb. And I asked my dad for some spending money um, as a Christmas present. And I remember being so terrified because I was like, oh my God, I have to stay in an Airbnb alone. I have to travel by myself. I have to do all these things that I've just never done alone before. And the only thing that really got me to click like book flights or whatever was because no one I knew was free or wanted to go. And I also don't like the idea of like asking people to put themselves in situations like that. Like, having to ask someone if they want to go on holiday when like holidays aren't cheap. And I realized that if I kept that mentality, then I would never do anything that I wanted to do. And so going to Amsterdam really changed the game for me. It was the first time that I ever did anything truly alone. And to this day, it's one of my favorite holidays I've ever been on because I I feel like that's when I really found myself and like figured out what I wanted to do in this world. I hadn't even like applied for my degree yet, or maybe I did. Well, I definitely like, hadn't done my A-levels 
So in the eyes of like educational age and stuff, I was pretty young. Um, but yeah, I went and I genuinely think that understanding that life doesn't wait for you is the biggest thing about doing things alone. Also, you have to become very comfortable with being alone. You have to be comfortable with yourself. I often found that I'd always want people to do things with me because I wasn't comfortable with being with my own brain and being alone. And like, not that, not that I was dependent on these people, but I just, I just didn't want to do anything by myself. Like, I remember even my mom would always be like, why are you asking me to come to the grocery store with you? Like, we literally live down the road from it. And I would be like, it's okay. And then I just wouldn't go, which is so like, looking back, I'm just like, why did you spend so much of your life feeling like you always had to have someone with you? And it takes baby steps. Um, I tried to distract my brain the whole way to Amsterdam. Even on the flight, I was so anxious. Everyone was in massive groups. Like obviously people that normally go from London to Amsterdam normally go in big groups and like massive friendship groups or like party flights and things like that and my flight was packed with a bunch of people my own age who were in massive friendship groups and I won't lie I felt really alone and I felt really upset that I felt that I didn't have anyone to go with but then I realized that I was doing it for me and I didn't have to wait for anybody else and I just put a podcast in for the whole flight the flight isn't that long it's like what half an hour maybe 45 minutes um traveling from the airport to my airbnb just had music playing, was watching YouTube videos and Netflix shows just to kind of distract my brain. But in terms of going out for coffee and going to eat, I also think that listening to podcasts and listening to music can really help because if it's the fear of being alone, as in like the absence of conversation and the absence of company, then listening to people in your little AirPods, your little earphones, headphones, whatever, can fill up that space, or at least it can help fill up that space. And when I went to uni, obviously I just moved to a new town, a new city, and I was so scared. And I had my best friend, but she had her own shit to do. Like we had just moved to a completely different city and we needed to figure life out. And I didn't want to be the person that was like, can we go get breakfast? Can we go do this? So I made a list of places in Brighton and Sussex and surrounding areas that I wanted to visit. And I made it my goal to go to them by myself. And I did. And I remember the first time I went to get breakfast by myself, I got an acai bowl and I brought a book with me. I also had a podcast ready to go. And I realized that no one cares. I think a big thing is people think that, oh, I'm being looked at and people think I'm a loner and people are going to wonder why I'm by myself. But literally nobody gives a shit. Everyone is too busy worrying about themselves to care that you're by yourself. And so with that being said, just think about the amount of times you've probably seen someone by yourself. And I think, I mean, I can only speak for myself, but before I started doing things by myself, when I would see others alone, I would always think, fuck, that's so cool. Or that's so brave. I would never think, oh, what a fucking loser. That never crossed my mind. And I think that's something you should remind yourself of. No one ever looks down at the confidence of being alone and being comfortable to be by yourself and be comfortable in your skin. It's something admirable and it's something that we should all work towards. So yeah, that would be my advice on doing things alone. I think that you should maybe make it a goal to do things by yourself that you wouldn't necessarily normally do alone. I mean, I went to the cinema for the first time alone during this pandemic when cinemas opened 
after the second lockdown, I think. And I was terrified, I was so scared, but I really wanted to see this film and it also wasn't safe for me to start inviting people. There was only one other person in the cinema and they were alone too. So it made me feel a lot more confident because everyone's doing it. I mean, realistically, you're never gonna have one person that does everything with you. So you might as well get used to that now so you can go out and do the things that you want because if you don't then you're gonna look back and be like fuck i wish i did all those things and no one wants that nobody wants that so the next question is tips on how to stop feeling under pressure to seem in a good mood and happy all the time and this is one that i 100 percent understand i've always felt like i have to be the happy friend and i realized that when i was so sad i was so fucking sad and i was at an old friend's house and she told me i was the happiest person she knew and then I was like, what the actual fuck are you talking about? And her family all were like, yeah, you're so happy. You put us in a good mood. Like we can always depend on you to make us happy. I remember just thinking, how am I doing this? How am I making everybody else around me think that I'm so happy when it was honestly one of the worst periods of my life? And from that, the anger that I felt surrounding that, and you know, my anger was valid. I'm allowed to feel what I feel, but I didn't express it. I just said, oh, haha, thanks. That's weird and then we kind of moved on with the conversation. But the anger I felt was so rooted in the fact that I felt that I was being this happy person because I had to be happy. And nobody likes the idea of the sad friend or the depressed friend. And it, I mean, it really is just a stigma of like, those people are perceived as burdens, but we're not. And I think realizing that one, I'm not a burden because of the way I feel is a big, big step into realizing that you don't have to be happy all the time, but also realizing that nobody's happy all the time. There is nobody in this world that is happy all the time. Some people are more happy than others, 100%, but have you ever had those days where you actually have no explanation for being down? Like there is nothing that has happened to trigger a bad mood, but you're just in a bad mood. That happens to everybody. You just have those days, we all have bad days, and you shouldn't ever feel like you have to hide that. And I say that because I think that at least for me, I am my most authentic self when I'm not trying to be a happy person. And this is gonna sound very Meredith Grey, but I do think that I'm just not like the happiest of people. And I try to be, I try to be positive for myself. I try to be happy for myself, but some people's brains are just not wired that way and that's okay and it's difficult. But whenever you find yourself trying to be in a good mood, ask yourself, are you doing it for you? And I also feel like this question implies the idea that like you are going out with people or like socializing when you're not in a good place and pretending to be happy. And for that, I say, find the people who get you. That will be the game changer. My best friends get it so much that sometimes I do not have the social energy to just go out and put on a smile and pretend my life is fine. And I've also had friends who have literally yelled at me whilst I'm in the middle of a depressive episode. Like they have been so fucking horrible and yelled at me for not texting them back immediately and yelled at me for canceling plans. And those people are not people you want in your life. If someone cannot understand that you do not owe them your happiness, you do not owe them a good time when you're going through it, they don't deserve to be in your life. And so, I mean, this question was phrased as if there is a pressure already being placed on you to be in a good mood. And I would say that you need to have a conversation with those people who are putting that pressure on you because that pressure shouldn't exist. People should be understanding that not everybody's always in a good mood. Being happy all the time isn't real.
I've I've known people who I've always thought, oh my God, you are so happy. How the fuck are you so happy all the time? And they're not. Some people are better at hiding it than others, but we all have bad days. It's human nature. It's mental health. It's everything. And if you have people around you who make you feel like you have to hide that and that you have to be in a good mood, then reevaluate who your circle is, but also explain to them that you don't owe them a good time or a good mood. You are the most important person in your life and you have to prioritize the fact that some days you're down and some days you don't wanna be the happy friend and you don't have to be. I'm sorry if you can hear birds chirping in the background. I really need to fucking move out because there is so much noise around my house. Um, I mean, like four police cars just went by and I was like, well, we're gonna have to put a hold on the podcast. But we're back. I just want to apologize for that because it's very fucking annoying. At least it is to me. I'm gonna do my best to edit out any background noise, but that's why. Sorry, besties. Um, but on to the next question. So someone said, some self-care tips and how do you cope with stress and anxiety? So I say this a lot and I feel like anyone who knows me or has listened to enough episodes knows that working out for me is the biggest form of self-care. But I don't think I've ever explained why it is like my most important form of self-care. Whenever I'm stressed, I know that I need to go and work out. I know that I need to go and run and I will prioritize that because it, it helps my mind, aligns my brain to see things very differently. And the first time I actually ever realized that was during my GCSEs. So I've been working out for years, but when I was doing my GCSEs, my mum got me a new gym membership because we have we had like a family gym plan. And she got me a new gym membership, which meant that I could just go whenever I wanted during the day. And I would go every single day after school and then go home and revise. And I realized that on the days that I wasn't doing that, I would panic when I was revising. I mean, I was still stressed, obviously. Exams are a really stressful time. Being 16, 15 is a really stressful time. But it made me just see things so differently. And I I think that's the most important thing about self-care. I think it should help you align your body and your brain. It shouldn't just be putting on a face mask and calling it a day. If that's what helps you feel zen, then do it. But for me, putting on a face mask does absolutely nothing for me. I don't even think it does anything for my skin. Sometimes I just put them on because I'm like, Pinterest vibes, but that's like my biggest self-care tip. And you have to find something that helps you see things differently. Because most of the times when we need to practice self-care the most, it's because our like perception of the world in that moment is kind of blurred. Because that's where a lot of panic comes from. You're not seeing things rationally. Sometimes you are, of course, sometimes you are, and there is valid reason to panic. But I often spiral about things that are completely out of my control. And so I go and run because it makes me feel in control and it makes me feel strong and it makes me feel brave. And that does help with my stress and anxiety. But I also think a big thing with coping with stress and anxiety is coming to terms with the fact that it isn't a phase. I know I've mentioned this before, but I genuinely thought things like anxiety and depression were things that you grew out of. And that mentality kept me trapped for a really long time because I didn't speak to anyone about it because I thought I was gonna get over it. Like quote unquote, get over it. And taking that step to realize that it's not your life. It's not like this thing that defines you, but it's a part of you. Taking that step and coming to terms with that really changes things because I feel like everything else starts to make a tad more sense. You know, I always used to wonder why I couldn't do certain things and it was because my anxiety was so crippling. But I had this mentality of, I'll get over it. But once you once you accept that, once you accept that it is now a part of who you are and you can get help and it can get better, but once you just come to terms with the fact that that is, that is something you have to deal with and that it's not a bad thing, it's really not a bad thing and there really is a negative light around it. But once you accept it, I think you can start to learn the things 
that help you the most. And that was, like I said, exam season for me, realizing that working out really helped my mind just breathe a little easier. And I mean, other forms of self-care would definitely be like turning off my phone and not going on social media. Also, not speaking to people who make me feel bad. That's probably the biggest form of self-care. I mean, recently people have been messaging me saying, oh, we should meet up again. Or, oh my God, how are you? We haven't spoken in so long. And there's no bad blood, but being around them never made me feel good. And so the self-care step that I'm now taking is keeping them away from my energy. That doesn't mean I'm gonna ignore them if I see them in a club or a coffee shop or out on the streets or anything. It just means I'm putting myself first. And honestly, that's what self-care is. Self-care is being your number one priority and realizing that everything you do has to benefit you in some way. Okay, next question. Advice on how to start a conversation without making it awkward. I am the queen of awkwardness. I'm one of those people that, if you know me, I don't shut up and I just ramble all the time. And it's normally nervous word vomit. But when I'm speaking to somebody new and I'm having to initiate a conversation, I am so awkward. I don't know what to say. There's a lot of ums and ahs and I just kind of sit in the silence. As much as, you know, with people I know, I hate silence. I'm like, speak, everybody speak, okay? I don't want there to be any silence. When I have to talk to someone that I don't know that well, I don't know what to say, but I genuinely think that it's a good dictator of how well that friendship's gonna be. There are people who, one, either get it and help ease the conversation and help you feel a lot less stressed, and there are people who will fill the silence for you, and then there are people who just don't get it, and they probably aren't your people. I think an amazing thing to do, though, when you are starting a conversation with someone is always have like an and you or a what about you whenever you answer their question because it can kind of suck when you're talking to someone and you just feel like they don't want to hear anything from you they just want to talk about themselves I also understand that sometimes your brain is like going so fast when you're nervous about talking to somebody so you might not think to do that but maybe just remind yourself that there are two people in this conversation and they're probably worried about it being awkward too and so try and think of the things that you have in common I mean did you meet at a similar setting are you mutual friends with someone else. There are so many factors that you could talk about that can immediately spark a friendship. And I remember when I met one of my best friends at uni, we literally became friends because we started talking about Game of Thrones. Literally, the minute that you find one thing that you both share, the conversation will start to flow so easily because you can talk about something that doesn't involve either of you, but or at least doesn't involve either of you directly, but you share a love or a passion or an experience. And that's a real bonding moment. I love it when I meet people for the first time and we have one of those conversations where it was initially very awkward and we were both very shy. And then we find that one thing in a conversation and we're like, oh my God, bestie, like amazing. It's often Grey's Anatomy for me or people who talk about films because I love films. And if someone's like, oh, my favorite film is La La Land or Suspiria or whatever, I'm like, oh my God, I love that film. Or have you watched like, this actress's entire filmography like I have or whatever. And so, yeah, I think one, breathe. Always, always calm yourself down in those moments if you can, because new conversations are strange. They're weird. It's new territory. Of course, it's going to be awkward. Two, accept that it's going to be awkward. Even if you're the most confident person in the world, it's going to be awkward. You don't know this person. And three, find a similarity in experiences or passions or anything and bounce off that. I mean, you can easily just say to someone, oh, so like, what are your hobbies? Or if you know a mutual person, you can be like, oh, so how did you meet so-and-so? And they can tell you, and then you can be like, oh, this is how we met. You know, awkward conversations exist. Awkwardness is a thing that we all have to deal with. 
but it ends. I think that's an important thing, actually. Awkward situations always end. They feel like they go on forever. And if you're anything like me, you'll probably go home and think about that awkward situation for about five years. But it came to an end. And if it's meant to be, it will be. Okay, someone said prioritizing yourself without feeling selfish or shit about it. And this is a journey, I'm not gonna lie to you. It's a fucking journey. And it's a very, very eye-opening one because we are taught from such a young age that not putting other people before yourself is selfish. And it's not. It's actually very harmful to put everybody else before you and your needs. Obviously everything is circumstantial, but like prioritizing yourself, if you just think about all the times you've put yourself first and put your needs first and not in a selfish way, I'm not saying like completely ignore everybody else because that's just rude. But if you think about the amount of times you put yourself first and the example that comes to mind is canceling plans because I'm not in a good mood. Think about how beneficial that was for you. That feeling is something very unmatched because it's a power move on yourself. You realize what you needed and that was the best thing for you and you did it. And the reward for that is that you feel better than you would if you put yourself in a bad situation for somebody else. It's a really hard thing to do though. I won't lie, it's a really hard thing to do. I don't like canceling workout classes because somebody has plans for me. I will say we can rearrange the plans, but I need this. This is my time. This is what gets me out of bed in the morning. This is what helps me feel sane. And if someone can't understand that, like I said before, they're probably not worth your time. But unlearning feeling selfish when you prioritize yourself is honestly just dismantling everything that society has taught you, especially if you're a woman, because it seemed it's perceived to be so rude if you realize your worth and then act on it but it's not rude. It's portrayed as this radical thing, but it's not. It's literally you just loving yourself. And this world profits of people not loving themselves. This world makes so much profit of people feeling insecure to put themselves first. But it's one of those things where like, you get your journal out, you get your gratitude journal out, you get your Apple Notes app up or whatever. And you write down everything you feel and you pick it apart until you realize that if people are making you feel selfish for doing this and trying to be a better version of yourself, because I promise you, loving yourself and putting yourself first makes you a better version of yourself, despite the selfish connotations of it. It makes you a better version of yourself. And with this question specifically, saying without feeling selfish or shit about it, that genuinely has nothing to do with you because emotions are learnt and responses are learnt. So in my opinion, that means that people have made you feel selfish or made you feel shit about it by their responses to you prioritizing yourself in the past. And again, it's something you have to unlearn. There are so many things in this life that we have to unlearn because society really wasn't set up to see anybody win, especially minorities. You know, whether you're a woman or you're disabled or you're a person of color, this world just wasn't set up to see us win. And so like, I think that's why when people are like, I want to love myself, but I don't want to be seen as selfish. It's seen as such an outlandish thing to say because people think that that's weird, but that should be the norm. That should be the default. We should be able to do those things without feeling selfish and we shouldn't have ever been made to feel selfish. Try it. That's all I can say. Try and do something that puts you as your own priority. Just one thing. And it's baby steps, but just one thing. And then when the moment's passed or the day has passed, evaluate what the outcome was. Because more often than not, your brain has already formulated an anxious response. Like you feel selfish in advance before you've even done it, you know? Like I remember when I 
would never cancel plans with people because I was so scared that I was gonna come across as selfish. And then when I started doing it, I was like, this actually makes me a better friend. Not only does it make me a better person, it makes me a better friend because now I don't have to be the person that doesn't wanna talk to anyone because I'm in a bad mood. Prioritizing myself in that situation and saying, hey guys, I'm not gonna come out tonight, means that the next time I came out and I was you know, in a better mood and in a better place, I was more available to those people that I loved. And that makes me a better friend and a better person. So I know that prioritizing yourself is perceived as selfish and it makes a lot of us feel selfish. But if you actually think about it, it's one of the most selfless things you could do because of the knock-on effects of prioritizing yourself and the self-love and self-appreciation and the realization of who you are that comes after prioritizing yourself. Yeah, I said a lot of shun words there. That's like something you say in primary school. They're like, what's all the shun words? Shun, realization, whatever. Anyways, okay, this next question got me real good. And it's advice on how to detach self-worth from academics and grades. Let me tell you now, I was that bitch who only saw my worth in academic achievements for so many years. If I got anything below a B, I would go home and I would cry and I'd be in the worst mood for weeks. And it really wasn't until sixth form that I realized that the two do not go hand in hand. Grades and self-worth do not go hand in hand because, and I mean, this is very specific to my life, but I'll give you the example. When I took my psychology A-level, and I actually do think that a lot of people can agree with this, I failed straight away. Like not the real exam, but the mocks. Like that first mock exam you take in like December, Oh my God, I got like a D and it was the worst grade. That's the lowest grade I've ever got in my life. And I was so miserable because I thought I was so good at psychology. I thought I was a fucking genius in that class. And I could not understand for the life of me why that happened. And neither could my teachers, which I thought was so interesting. My teacher was like, Mary, you get it. Like you understand the content so well. You can explain it so well. Why did you get this grade? And I think that really opened something in my mind that like, I am smart. I am a smart person and I love reading and I, I love education, but I cannot continue to let them define me because they don't encapsulate everything I know. My grades are not a reflection of how smart I am. My grades are not a reflection of the life experiences that I've had that have made me as smart as I am. And there are also so many other things that make you smart, like how well you can understand emotions and how, how much empathy you have and all these things. Like there is so much more to being smart and wise than just an academic grade. And I genuinely think that like fucking up that first mock exam was the biggest wake up call for me to realize that. And so I'm not saying go and fail an exam on purpose, but you have to realize that there's so much more to your life that makes you a smart individual than just a grade. Because the biggest fucking plot twist of leaving school is realizing that no one gives a shit about your grades. No one gives a fucking shit. I remember when I got my GCSEs, I was like, this is it, I'm gonna brag forever. I don't think I've spoken about my GCSE grades in like five years, which is when I left school. Um. I mean, people obviously, when you apply for uni, they ask for your GCSE grades and your A-level grades, but that's it. Like no one cares about your grades. When you leave school and you're no longer in a teenage environment, you don't compare grades the way you do in school. And I think that that's something that a lot of people perceive to be the case. But like, even at uni, I don't know anyone who's like, what did you get? Like, I've never been in a class where people are like, mm, I got a two one, I got a first, I got this, what did you get? Like, you just don't do that because I think like, especially at uni, you kind of realize that you're so limited in what you're tested on. And some people are so much smarter 
than what that exam is asking from them. Also, how the fuck are you going to know how smart I am in the space of three hours? You could also be having a bad day. There are just so many factors into how grades are made. And I, I do think that like the academic way of testing is just, I mean, one, it's ableist, but two, it also just doesn't give people the chance that they deserve because there are people who can just memorize a textbook and have no substance in their brain and they'll get full marks. And then there's someone who has literally studied for months on end and can explain every single page of the textbook to you but cannot work their way around that exam. And so as much as I get it, I really do. And to this day, I mean, I'm I'm a uni student who doesn't really give a shit anymore. So I can get a two one and not cry, but you kind of just have to see that the people who are grading your papers don't know you and you have more to offer than they will ever know. And the things that you have to offer that other people get to see in their everyday life with you, like how kind you are or cool quirky facts you know about life like random things that's what makes you who you are that's what makes you special that's what makes you smart not a grade on a piece of paper it's a hard one though and i mean i think the common theme with all these questions is that things take time to realize they really do and everything is a journey but the journey comes to an end and you get to the destination of realizing your worth and realizing the things that you wish you knew but it comes with time it comes with age it comes with living life and so you might not realize it now, but I promise you one day you will realize that grades are not the end of the world. They're really not. I wish that I could have realized that a lot sooner. And so I'm going to say this to whoever needs to hear it, whoever still thinks that grades are the biggest definition of their life. It's a piece of paper that no one cares about in five years. You will have so much more to offer in the experiences that you gain in the five years since your final exam than whatever an exam marker or a teacher or whoever had to say about you. And the funniest thing to me is that, I mean, you guys know I absolutely despise my secondary school, but I had teachers who told me to my face, to my face that I was gonna fail their class. And I always ended up getting one of the highest grades in their class. And it was always the teachers that didn't believe in me. And I know it doesn't always work for everybody, but I genuinely think the power of reverse psychology, I was like, I'm gonna prove you wrong. But this is like amplifying my point that what other people think of your brain and what other people think of your intellect and your worth is not a description or a definition of what you are at all, at all. And also everybody doesn't fucking care about grades in about five years. So you got this, you got this. Life will work out, I promise. Okay, so the next question is, how to deal with friendships which ask a lot of you, but do not give a lot? Leave, leave them. There are enough people in this world who will appreciate you and give you everything you deserve. And I am saying this as someone who is currently in one of those friendships. One of those friendships that gives you absolutely nothing, even though you give in the world. And it takes so much energy it takes so much emotional energy to continue giving to a fucking brick wall. It really does. And I don't think that anyone deserves to go through that. And I know my worth. I know that I don't deserve to go through that. But I'm that person that likes to give people a million and one chances and only until the million and second, a million and two, a million, you know what I'm talking about. Only until that chance am I like, okay, I've had enough. It's too much for me. And I, I don't wish that I was different but sometimes I do sit back and I'm like, why am I so willing to give people so many chances? But honestly, the reality of it is that you just have to leave it. If they change and they realize what they've lost and you're okay with them coming back into your life, then they will. Because people always realize what they've lost when it's too fucking late. 
too, too late. And people will send you those messages like, we were so good together, or I miss you, you were so good to me. Why couldn't you see that in the moment? You can't appreciate people when they realize their worth and you realize that they did everything for you. And so, I mean, people may disagree with me, but my biggest thing is leave, or at least distance yourself from those friends. Because it starts to take a toll on your mental health. It starts to warp the way you see yourself. If someone literally gives you nothing back, you start to question your own self-worth. And you start to think, oh, am I not good enough? Am I not pretty enough? Am I not funny enough? Do I not give them enough? And then you give more of yourself and suddenly you have an empty cup with nothing left to give to yourself. And that, babe, that is what we're not doing. Okay, that is what we're not doing. 2021 is the year of filling up our cups and realizing our worth. And it's just so annoying. And sometimes I genuinely think that people don't do it on purpose. I like to believe that not everybody's evil. <laughs> and um, I like to believe that some people aren't doing it on purpose. But what's actually happening, and it's a sad, sad truth, and it's a sad realization, but I think sometimes what actually is happening is that they don't actually care about you. Like they don't care for the friendship the way that you do, which is awful, you know. The ideal situation would be that anyone you care about cares about you too, but that's just not how life works. And so there are like three options, I guess. One being just fucking run away. Two, well, not literally. Don't don't run away from your homes. Like I mean, from the friendship. Um, two, talk to them. Make your voice heard. Because that's also another thing. If you voice your thoughts and emotions and opinions and someone doesn't change, that's a fucking red flag. That's a sign to disappear from their life. Um, and the third one is to kind of realize that you can put that energy somewhere else. Actually, not kind of realize, do realize you can put that energy somewhere else. Also, remember that if someone doesn't want to give you what you deserve, you can go and give it to yourself and you don't need them. If you want someone to show you love and they're not, amplify the love that you're giving yourself 100%. And it will shine through because you do attract what you radiate. And I, I believe that because for so many years, I thought I was so unlovable. I And not even in a romantic sense, in a friendship sense, in a completely platonic way. I just thought I was so unlovable. I thought I was so emotionally distanced that nobody would ever know me well enough to love me as a friend. And because of that, I chose to distance myself from absolutely everybody. I made myself a cold-hearted bitch who didn't speak to anyone. I think I got lucky meeting my friends who I have now because they really opened my eyes to the fact that there are people who you're just destined to meet. I believe in soulmates and twin flames and all that jazz. And even if it's not as deep and profound as that, there are people who just get you. There are people who will understand you and understand why you are the way you are. Even if you don't have to say a word to them, they get it. And from being in those friendships and changing my perception of friendships and my own worth and realizing that I am great and I deserve so much love, I then attracted friends who brought that into my life because I was radiating that energy out into the world. And literally everybody's seen it somewhere, whether it's in a little hippie book or whether it's one of those wall prints that I feel like every mother buys for their house. And it's like, you attract the vibrations you send off or some bullshit like that. They're true, they're true. Why do you think they sell so well? Because people need that reminder. You attract everything you radiate. And so, one of the biggest things you can do in those situations is to give yourself what you feel like you're missing from that friendship. And either one, they'll realize that you are independent and maybe they'll something will click in their brain that they need to do better. Or two, they won't change. 
and you have to take yourself out of that situation, but you've gained a shit ton of self-love from it. You learned a lesson. And I think every friendship comes with a lesson, whether it ends, whether it's a lifetime friend, everything comes with a lesson. You learn so much from other people, but you also learn so much from yourself and how you deal with those situations. Okay, this next question was something, I don't know why I just wasn't expecting this at all. I mean, I wasn't expecting any of these questions, but this one really interested me. The question is advice on how to have more energy during the day, how to not cry so often and how to adjust if, for instance, you're going to a new school. And so I'm going to break this down into the separate parts of the question. So advice on how to have more energy during the day. I do not think that's something that we have complete control over. There are people who just innately have less energy and some people who innately have more energy, regardless of how much sleep they get, how many energy drinks they get. We're all completely different, right? Emotional energy is the same. Emotional energy is the exact same. Some days you have everything to give. Some days you have nothing to offer. I think that when it comes to wanting more energy, you have to do things that don't drain you. I mean, sometimes I will wake up and I mean, I remember pre-lockdown, like pre-pandemic actually, I would wake up at 6am, go to a soul cycle class, go to a Pilates class, go on a 5k run and sit in bed all day. And everyone thought I had my life together because I did three workouts before like the sun had risen properly. But I just completely drained my body. I couldn't do anything. I'd literally get back into bed and sleep and take like five naps. And I couldn't do anything else because before 10 a.m., I'd given all my energy to the first two hours of the day and completely ignored the remaining 22 hours. And so... I think that's a big thing. If you realise the things that completely drain you of your energy, you can maybe do them towards the end of the day. I know, I don't like working out towards the end of the day, but sometimes I know that if I am sleep deprived, I cannot keep waking up at 6am for a soul cycle class. You know, if I am sleep deprived, I cannot stay up all night revising. You have to prioritise these things. On how to not cry so often, maybe this isn't what you want to hear, but cry. Don't, don't hold tears back. Don't do that. Because honestly, you'll bottle it up and explode randomly. The amount of times I've just cried for no apparent reason. Well, I mean, the reason was apparent, but in the moment it didn't seem apparent because I had just prevented myself from crying over things that needed to be cried about. No one cries for a silly reason. Some people will be like, oh my God, that's such a dumb reason to cry. There's never a dumb reason to cry. There is never a dumb reason to cry. If that was the case, I wouldn't tell the world how much I cry over Grey's Anatomy. And people think that's a dumb reason to cry, but do you know how fucking emotional that show is? Like, there is never a dumb reason to cry. Everything you feel is super valid. I can understand thinking that it might be an inconvenience to be crying so frequently, but crying isn't a bad thing. It's seen as a negative thing, but it's not. You can cry for happy reasons too. I think that's something that people forget quite a lot. But don't ever stop yourself from crying. I mean, if you can't cry because of the situation that you're in or like you're at work or you're in the middle of a lecture or something, I mean, the amount of times I've cried in a public toilet is just becoming a bit of a joke now. But you have to let it out sometimes. Saying you have to let it out sometimes whilst talking about toilets probably wasn't the best sentence I've said on this podcast, but you guys know what I mean. Sometimes you just have to cry. And I think the more you hold it in, the more it builds up and the bigger the problem gets. So I don't have advice on how to not cry often. If you need to cry and there are people around you who think that you're emotional or like you care too much, those aren't bad things. Despite the way that people say them with that weird little snarky tone, those aren't bad things. Those are things that make you human and being human is amazing. Those are the things that make you alive. Those are the, those are the moments that you look back. Great, just drop my earrings in the bin. Um, 
those are the moments that you'll look back on and be like, I learned so much. I grew so much. Through so many tears, there's so much room for growth. I promise you that. And the last part is how to adjust if, for instance, you're going to a new school. And I remember when I went to sixth form, which wasn't connected to my um, secondary school. I know some people's are, mine wasn't. They had no affiliation. It was literally a completely different school. And I was terrified. And on the first day, I wore this like tiny little skirt and like a roll neck top that I bought from Topshop, caked my face in, in foundation. I had like my strip lashes on, my hair was dead straight. And I realized that I was trying so hard to reinvent myself and go to this place where I was given a new opportunity to be someone else, to be someone that I wanted to be. And I feel like that came especially because I had such a bad experience at secondary school. And maybe don't dress the way I dressed in a skirt that's way too short and probably don't wear a white skirt when you're going to get on public transport. But this is an opportunity to reinvent yourself. If you want to, obviously you don't have to. But to me, that's that's what adjusting meant. It meant now that I'm given this opportunity to be who I want to be because from 11 to 15, which is secondary school, you change so much. Like 11 to 15, those are those are crazy years. You go through so much. And that then means that anyone who knew you in school knows a side of you that probably isn't you when you leave. By the time you've graduated high why do I say high school? By the time you graduated secondary school, you are not the person you were when you started in year seven. And it can be so freeing to then go into a new environment with the mindset that you have now and everything that you've learned and use that to your advantage. And so adjusting kind of implies that you're going into this situation where you now have to morph yourself to fit in and become what everybody else wants of you. But if you're going to a new school, nobody knows you. Nobody knows you. Nobody has any expectations of you yet. And so you get to define that. And I genuinely think that going to new schools, like I went to a different sixth form, I went to a uni with only like two people that I knew, is such an amazing opportunity for you to be your most authentic self. Don't adjust for the happiness and the comfort of other people because this is an opportunity that not a lot of people get. And it's something you should just grab with both hands and run with it. This is your time to be you, your most authentic self, the person that you are in this very moment. And so much growth will come by the time you leave this school, but you get to choose who you are when you go in. And I don't know if maybe I'm the only person that perceives the word adjust to be like settling in with what others have or what's already there. But if you're starting a new school and everyone else is new, like it's a September thing, rather than moving halfway through a year or halfway through a school, whatever, you are in the same position as everybody else. Everybody else is trying to figure that shit out too. So just breathe and remember that you don't have to change who you are to fit in, ever. Okay, someone said advice on how you found out you wanted to go to law school or more exactly advice on how to find your career. I always knew I wanted to get a law degree. If I still want that law degree is a very different situation, but I always knew that was the degree I wanted to do. The reason I did it, and I, do you know, I don't regret doing law. I don't regret it. I mean, as much as it might not sound like it, I do actually love studying law. I think it's so fun and it's so insightful and it's made me a more knowledgeable person because there are so many things from a law degree that even if you don't become a practicing lawyer will benefit you in life. Like the amount of times that people, I mean, yeah, I might sound like a Karen, but the amount of times that companies 
have said, oh, we can't refund you on a faulty item. And I've been like, actually like subsection six of blah, blah, blah says that you have it. You have to refund me my money within like 30 days or 14 days, whatever. And they've been like, oh yeah, sorry. Like they don't want to give you your money back. But if you have that knowledge, they can't fight it because you're right. Um, and when I was younger, I always wanted to go into law because I always had this like burning passion to change the world. And I remember when I was younger, just a lot of things happened in my life that made me realize that I want to be the person that can give people these happy outcomes. And obviously that's a very naive way of seeing the law when you're younger, because there's not always happy outcomes. But then I went to do my work experience at a law firm and as emotional as that shit was I did it at a human rights solicitor firm it was so emotional and it was it was a lot it like reinforced the idea that I want to help people and doing a law degree was the only way I knew how to do that and obviously now I know that that's not the only way but at the time that was the only way and I also loved the law like it's not I don't know it's, it's not something that was just a whim like I really wanted this my whole life it was literally the only thing I ever said to anyone And when people are like, well, what's your backup plan if you don't get into law school? I was always like, no, I will. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think I got really lucky knowing that I wanted to do law from such a young age because then everything I did in my life kind of led up to it. It set me up for it. I did all the right summer schools. I did the correct work experience. I know that I got really lucky because there are people who still don't know what degree they want to do and they have to like apply tomorrow. But my advice for picking a degree would be do something you enjoy. Because the amount of people I know who struggle for a degree that they don't enjoy because it looks good on paper is really sad. And I think we should actually normalize this idea that if you want to take a degree in like history or something, but you don't want to be a historian or you don't want to use that history degree, but you want to go to uni, like you want to keep studying, you should be allowed to do that. Because at the end of the day, why do you have to take a degree in something that will specifically get you that job in that career? Why is it not encouraged to just take a degree because you like to study and that you like learning and that you actually want to be educated in this topic? Because for me, I feel like I went to a school that didn't do the fun subjects. My school was tiny. It was literally a church school, okay? Like we didn't do media, we didn't do sociology, we didn't do psychology, we didn't do fine arts, we didn't do dance, we didn't do theater. We didn't do all these things that I would have loved to have studied when I was 11 to 15. They really could have shaped me into a different person. And not that I regret that because the subjects that I did take made me who I am today and I'm forever grateful. But then when I went to sixth form, I remember that I didn't choose media or or photography or any of these things, even though I knew that I wanted to learn about them because I was like, it's going to set me up for a life that I don't want. And that's not how education should work. And yeah, I, I don't know. I just feel like education is there to help us grow, right? Like to make us know more about the world. But if you enforce this idea onto young impressionable minds that without specific qualifications, they're gonna struggle to make it in the real world, then people are gonna settle for degrees that they don't want. So my biggest advice would be do something that you enjoy, even if you don't know anything about the topic, because there are a lot of degrees that people don't know anything about. If it sparks some sort of excitement in you and you really do see yourself enjoying it for three, four, five years, do it. Try and like not feel so pressured by society to go into law or medicine or, you know, like those stereotype degrees where people are like, you have a secure job at the end of it. Because that's also not true. 
there are so many post-grad law students who don't have a secure job. So just do whatever makes you fucking happy because we're on a floating rock. We're on a floating rock. Don't forget it. Okay, I love this next question because I truly am the correct person to answer this. So it's advice on how to get over a hangover. Sweat. Sweat it all out. This is the moment where you have to be the most inconsiderate you've ever been in your life because you will sweat out pure alcohol. The amount of times I've been in a gym or a workout class and I'm like, I'm sure there's tequila dripping out of my pores right now. But honestly, it just makes you feel so good. Um, drink a shit ton of water. Eat all the carbs that you need to eat because I don't know how much scientific proof there is for this, but I feel like the carbs absorb all the alcohol. Um, always have a box of Nurofen or painkillers or anything right next to your bed because sometimes the headache is a bit too much. Like, there's only so much water and workouts can do, you know? So, yeah, painkillers. Also, don't let it take over your day. Like, if you have a hangover, don't cancel all of your plans. Maybe put them off until further in the day, but don't get so caught up in it and be like, oh, this is so bad. Think about the amount of times that you've just got on with your life and you've had like a stomach ache or a cold or something like that. Like the amount of people I know who cancel every single thing they need to do for a hangover is ridiculous. It will pass. It's literally a headache with a mix of dehydration and a shit ton of sugar running through your body. It will pass. Just work out water, carbs. Those are my key things. I promise you I can be out clubbing until 4am my ass will be at that soul cycle class at 7am because I know it's going to make me feel great. It's going to make my body feel like it can actually do something. It's a reminder that even though I'm hungover, I'm still a strong human being and I can work out and get shit done. And it sets you up for a good day, especially if you already think that you're going to feel like shit for the rest of the day. Also, if you're not too drunk, when you get home, have like a charcoal tablet if you have anything like that at your house. Um, maybe like some magnesium, some chlorophyll, things that just like help clean out your system and help your body recuperate, if that's the correct word. Hydration pills, not pills, hydration tablets. Um, I use the Noon Hydration Electrolyte tablets. I normally use them for running, so I have caffeine and electrolytes in my body, but they work well for hangovers. It's just extra hydration, you know? When I have a hangover, I normally drink like five liters of water. I'm not even joking. Like I get so dehydrated. Also drink water throughout the night when you're drinking. People forget to drink water. It's a staple, staple part of surviving a hangover. Water, water, water. You need it. Okay, next question. How to get better at asking for help instead of waiting until you get overwhelmed? Honestly, it took me longer than I'd like to admit to realize this, but most people want to give you their advice. Even, oh my God, I just got an email saying my exam paper is accessible. What the fuck? What the fuck? I thought it was tomorrow. Oh my God. Wait, huh? Fuck. Okay, I gotta I got wrap this episode up. Fuck. I thought that exam was tomorrow. Wait, I'm getting drunk today. Oh, oh fuck. Okay, you heard it here first, guys. Okay, I'm gonna take a minute, take a couple deep breaths, and then we're gonna come back to this. Okay, after that short break, um, I had a burrito, a naked burrito bowl and um, slight heart palpitations, but I think we're good, I think we're good. Some may say it's funny or even ironic that the next question is about university when this is my life. 
Anyways, um, someone said, any advice about the first year of university? I am starting in August and I'm terrified. Everybody else is in the exact same position as you and I think that is the biggest thing that will pull you through the fear of socialising and meeting new people and being in a new environment. Everybody else is new too. I remember when I was at uni, I was just like, it's just me, I'm the only one who's terrified. Everybody's terrified. It's the first time that most people are away from home and what they knew and the life that they once had. It's the first time you kind of have to pay bills and be a responsible adult and buy your own food to make sure you survive. It's also the first time that you've ever had to make your own friends. And what I mean by that is when you're in school, you think you choose your friends, but I don't think you do. Everything happens in school as a result of where teachers place you and what classes you're in and what sports you do. Whereas at uni, you have to make those decisions. You're the one that has to go and initiate those friendships. People will gravitate towards you and you will have classes with people that you find yourself closer with. More often than not, it's on you to either one, initiate those conversations or two, engage with those people. But like I said, every single person is in the exact same situation as you. And it's easy for me to say now as someone who's already been through it, but honestly, you have nothing to worry about. You will find yourself more than you'll find friends, but that's the beauty of this new chapter of your life. I think everybody should try university even if they don't stick with it because I think you just learn so much about yourself. Even within the first few months of being there, you learn about who you are independent of everything you once knew. And I don't know, it, it was such a great feeling to finally feel liberated enough to be like by myself and figuring shit out. But yeah, honestly, just remember that no one's alone in that situation. You have flatmates and people on your course and even people in other years who you see at the student union or anything. But above all, I mean, not above all. So we have, everyone else is in the same position. And then second to that, we have, you have to put yourself out there. Regardless of how shy or how anxious you might be, you have to put yourself out there. You have to go to the student bar at least once. Even if you don't drink, you just have to do it. You, I mean, you don't have to, but this is how I would suggest like breaking through the first hurdle of being a uni student. Freshers Week and the Student Union are great for socializing. People just hang out there all the time. And you'll, even if these people don't become your friends, it's just nice to talk to people during the first few months of uni, just to know that there are people there that you, can potentially become friends with or you click with or just people who who know what you're going through because everybody in first year is going through the exact same thing maybe on different levels but we're all going through the exact same thing so it's nice to have those people to talk to so yeah put on a brave face even if you're trembling in your boots at the idea of speaking to somebody you got this just fake it till you make it Okay, how to deal with loneliness when you also hate socialising. I love my alone time so much, but can't help feeling isolated and missing human connection. I'm the exact same. The idea of socialising makes me want to jump into a pit and never leave. But sometimes you need it. Sometimes human connection is good for your brain and your body craves it. To that I say find your people. Find the correct group of friends who understand the balance that you require in your life. Understand that you want to be alone for a lot of the time, maybe a majority of the time, but sometimes you need them. However, you have to be the person in the friendship that initiates the social interactions and the meetups because you can't expect everybody to understand it. And what I mean by that is like, if you've made it very clear that you like your own time and you're very introverted and you just like to be by yourself, you then can't expect your friends to know when you want human connection. Um, 
Also, this might sound weird to some people, but whenever I feel lonely and I have nobody to hang out with, I just watch a show that I find a lot of comfort in. So if you don't actually want to go out and socialise, maybe find a comfort show. And I don't know, I mean, mine's Grey's Anatomy, but we all have different comfort shows. But I mean, yeah, nothing really beats the real human connection, especially after this year. I feel like a lot of us have felt that. But yeah, just find friends who get the balance. And then remember that because they're your friends, they will want to hang out with you when you're ready. Okay, someone else said, I want to hear your story about law school and when you realize it's not for you. I relate to you so much. Love you, bestie. I love you too. Um, so, I mean, I briefly spoke about law school already. So I'll just answer the part where you said, when I realize it's not for me. And honestly, it was in the pandemic. I think that was the first time in my life that I well, I felt like I had the time to do whatever I wanted, whatever I was passionate about. Because when the pandemic started, it was like a two week break from life. Like that's what it was painted as. And that's what I thought it was. And so I was like, I'm going to do everything I felt I never had the time to do. So I started reading a lot more. I started writing a lot more. All these things that I'd had to put on hold as soon as I started my degree, because I felt like I didn't have any time. And also being out of the ritual of having to go to classes every day and be there in person really made me realize that I was genuinely just living my life in a cycle of routine. Like I would just wake up and go to class. I didn't have any desire to be there, but I just had to because I was there. And my life before the pandemic, like I remember it so clearly, let's say like February of last year, I was commuting to and from uni. So it's about a two hour travel time. And I would wake up at like 5am. I would go to a six or a 7am soul cycle class or a Barry's class or a boxing class. I would always work out before I got on the train. And then I would literally see the sunrise as I was on my way to uni. I'd go there, do about five hours of lectures, go to the library for a bit, come home, work out, sleep, do it all again. My life was just such a routine based thing. And I really do thrive in routine. I hate breaking routine, but I didn't realize how much of a robot to it I was until we went into that little two week break, which obviously has now been over a year. But it wasn't until that happened that I was kind of like, I'm going to sit down and really evaluate if I like the life that I'm living because I have the time to do that. And so, yeah, I just kind of did everything I wanted to do. And I realized that law was never something that came up in that time. Like I never, I'm like, I'm quite the nerd. Like I do really like to read academic journals and stuff. And so I really questioned why I had no energy to do my law degree when I wasn't there. And it's because I was just making it a part of my routine. Like there was not really a real desire for me to study it. So that was definitely eye opening for me. And I tried to drop out. Um, I tried to drop out and change degrees, but it just didn't work. So I stuck with it and like, just kind of said, well, I've made it this far. Like I might as well just keep going. But yeah, that was that was definitely the eye-opening moment. I feel like a lot of people can relate to that. I feel like a lot of people realise a lot about themselves in the pandemic. And having that time away from people and other people's expectations of you and also being able to just be free and not have to do what you would normally do and breaking that routine, I feel like it's really eye-opening. It's really enlightening. So yeah, it was definitely, definitely Miss Panini Press that made me realise that. Okay, how to be less awkward with first interaction and if you think it's okay to ask someone at the gym if your form is good, like how to do it and if to, please. Okay, I don't know why I read that so weirdly. So yeah, I mean, I already spoke about being awkward. Some of these questions overlap, so I'll just like answer the bits that I haven't already answered. 
But as for the asking people at the gym if your form is good, it's like I said earlier, people want to give you their advice. They want you to know that they're knowledgeable. I promise you, if you ask someone at the gym if your form is good, they're going to take it as a compliment because it implies that you think their form's good, even if you don't. Like, it kind of like sparks this little golden thing in someone's brain to be like, oh, you think I've got it, you know? And I think once you realize that, you realize that people aren't as intimidating as you perceive them to be. They don't even have to be scary, but like, I get it. Speaking to people for the first time and asking people questions that people don't normally ask other people can be intimidating. But if you flip it on its head and you put yourself in their situation, you probably wouldn't like not speak to someone who asks you how good their form is. Like you take that as a compliment too. So I think if you remember that, then it should be a lot easier. Also take deep breaths. Speaking to people for the first time is nerve wracking. Take some deep breaths, practice what you're gonna say in your head, walk over, ask the question and you got this. You might even get yourself a gym buddy, who knows? You have absolutely nothing to lose by being brave and asking people questions. You have so much to gain from it though. Okay, next question. Any advice on how to be your authentic self and give zero fucks? A toxic friendship group in high school has left me embarrassed to be me. This one hit differently. This one hit so differently. Because, yeah, I had the same same situation. Like, I had a friendship group that made me so embarrassed to be who I was. Um, you just have to, like, I don't know how to, how to put this in, like, simple terms without talking for seven hours. I think one day you you have to realise that whatever you're doing is stopping you from being your best self. And pretending to be someone that you're not is an act that can only last so long. I mean, I completely changed my wardrobe and completely changed like how I did my makeup and all these like on the surface things. But to me, they were really important because I realized that before that I was doing all of those things for other people. Like I was wearing a full face of makeup because everybody else that I was with kind of looked down on people that didn't wear makeup. And I hate how I look with a full face of makeup. I really don't like it. I don't think it suits me. I prefer to just like fill in my eyebrows and leave the house. But I would always do this and it was making my skin bad as well. And then when I stopped being friends with those people, I kept wearing makeup because I thought that that's how I got other friends. But then you kind of realize that you can't keep living like that. Honestly, people say like, oh, you can go your whole life pretending to be someone you're not. And I disagree. I don't think you can. I think parts of you will shine through even if you're trying to suppress them, because that's who you actually are. And your most authentic self will always come to the surface because that's all you know. You can pretend to be other people to fit in, but you know your values deep down. Even if they get clouded and lost, you know what you are and who you are. And even if you don't at this current moment in time, you will. And so toxic friendship groups, especially in school, can actually fuck you up long term. But I think the most important thing to remember is that when you meet new people, like people that weren't in that friendship group, you don't have to be embarrassed about who you are because meeting them is not an opportunity to get them to like you. It's actually quite the opposite. It's an opportunity to see if you like them. It's an opportunity to see if you like what they can bring to your life, if you like what they stand for. And when you meet people that you like and have vibes that you like, you will no longer be embarrassed to be yourself because you realize that their authenticity inspires you. Also, I think it's really important to remember that you're not responsible for the image of you that they created in their own mind. That's not your fault. You tried, you did your best, and our body goes into survival mode when we're in situations like that, and we feel like we have to impress everybody else because that's the only way we will survive the friendship group. But you're out of it now, which is a massive step. 
and now you're given this opportunity to be you and you'll always kind of hear that voice in the back of your head even if you completely get over it there'll always be a reminder and my favorite metaphor for things like that is if you have a scar that shows in certain lights that's how bad experiences feel in life it's not always something that's on your mind but in certain lights it comes through and that's okay. And I think acknowledging that that's okay is also a massive step to realizing that you, you're allowed to be you now. You're free. You're free of the constraints of any friendship group, especially high school friendship groups. But this is an opportunity. This is a chance for you to be who you are and attract people that like you because you no longer have that toxic friendship group around you, which means that if you go out into the world as you, as your most authentic self, and you're proud of that, You'll attract people that like that version of you, not people who like the fake version of you. You got this, you got this. This is your chance to shine now. Okay, someone said, well, I haven't dated or had any kind of romantic relationship and I'm 18. I'd really like some advice. So, I mean, I have a whole episode on being single in your 20s and like the years before that. So if you want a more in-depth explanation, go listen to that episode. Look at that cheeky plug. But I think it's really good to be single in your teens. And if you weren't single in your teens, I'm not saying that that was a bad thing. I'm just talking about my own life and my own understanding and experience. Um, I think those are good years for you to be alone and also realize that you're okay without anybody else. That's a big thing. Um, we're all different, of course, but I feel like if I was in a relationship when I was 18, I would have a really hard time knowing that I'm okay by myself because it's, you're just so young, like your brain isn't fully developed. Things that you learn at that age stick with you. They they make you who you are in your 20s. And I know that at least for me, if I had someone that I was in a romantic relationship when I was 18, I would have become completely dependent on them. And I don't know if I would be as independent as I am now. So as much as it seems like everybody else your age is dating someone, it's okay if you're not and use this time to grow, grow independently. Also, um, I just feel like you're a teenager, like you don't need to date people at 18. Life is changing in crazy ways. Just, just live it. If you do date someone and they fall into your life and you love them and you wanna be with them, then go for it. But you should never put pressure on yourself to date someone especially at 18. You're so young. You have so much ahead of you. But yeah, I mean, I don't want to repeat anything I said in my previous podcast episode. So defo go listen to that. But it's fine. You're normal. You're valid. And not everybody's dating someone, even though it feels like every single person you know might be dating someone. Okay, this is a cool question. Advice on how to be more confident as an introvert and how you deal with an environment of big personalities. So I am very introverted, like going out drains me. I've said this a million and one times, but it doesn't go hand in hand with not being confident. And it also doesn't go hand in hand with being shy. And a lot of people think that's the case. But I think that confidence is genuinely just believing that everything that you're doing is important. And I mean, feel free to disagree with me, but if you think about it, when it comes to confidence and people say like be confident in terms of a performance or be confident in speaking to people. A lack of confidence comes from people doubting if what they're saying or doing is important enough to be heard. And you can be an introvert and still know that what you're saying holds worth. Um, so I would say that as much as you're an introvert, as much as you probably don't like going out and being with those big personalities, it doesn't diminish the fact that you still have something to offer. Amongst big personalities, I get very, very timid and quiet because it's overwhelming for me 
but I still know that anything that I want to say will add value and hold so much importance. Okay, this next question is something that a lot of people ask me online. Um, I understand why, like I've lived in London my whole life, but I want to answer this for anyone who's ever messaged me and I haven't given a long enough answer. So the question is, um, I'm moving to London in September and I'm kind of anxious about it. Don't get me wrong, I'm excited as fuck, but at the same time I could really use some tips and tricks on living in London and how to not feel overwhelmed. Um, I think what we've realised from this podcast episode is that I can't read, but anyways... London is very overwhelming. It's very overstimulating. I'm not going to beat around the bush. There are so many people and no one gives a shit about anyone. But it is an amazing city. It's a fucking amazing city. There are so many things to do and so many safe spaces that you can go to. And by safe spaces, I don't mean like, you know, fucking meetings and basements. I mean, like bars where there will be people your own age and social events and private members clubs and even like non, what do you, what do you call a non-private members club? Like a members club, a public members club? I don't know. But there are a bunch of places you can go to, to find people to be friends with or just to talk with. And social media is a massive, massive thing for getting through London. I'm telling you, most of the friends I have in London, I met through social media. Despite living here my whole life, I don't have a lot of friends here, at least, that I've met in person. And that's how we've become friends. Um, so I'd say like definitely get on Instagram, definitely get on TikTok, Twitter maybe, and you'll see people tweeting and talking about different places in London and you can ask for their advice. And most people here are willing to make friends. There are some assholes, actually there are a lot of assholes, but most people, especially in our like age bracket, are willing to make friends and willing to talk to you. And as for like, the whole feeling overwhelmed in an overwhelming city. I think once you get here, it can feel very culty, but not in a bad way, like in a sense of belonging. I feel like Londoners who aren't originally from London feel the same, feel the same sense of belonging and as if like London is an actual home to them as people who were born and raised in London. And I think that's very unique because I do know a lot of people that live in different cities who don't feel like those cities are their home. And I feel like London has that to offer. It feels very homey. Also, a lot of people that live in London aren't actual Londoners, like born and raised Londoners. They've moved here and made this their home. And so I hope that gives you some comfort in knowing that it's possible for this place to become somewhere you find comfort and somewhere you enjoy residing in. London is a crazy one, but she's a beautiful baby. She really is. And on to the next one. So someone said, how to not be embarrassed about making friends um, because I really can't overcome that feeling. I get it. I mean, I did say that whole thing about embarrassment and like, the thing is, embarrassment is so normal and it's a part of growth. Like being embarrassed and feeling all those like weird feelings about having to impress people and finding new friends. It's all part of growth. And more often than not, you'll look back on that. If you become friends with that person, you'll look back on that moment and be like, how silly that I was so nervous and so embarrassed. But if you feel like really embarrassed around someone, I think maybe an optimistic way to look at that is that you really like them. Like you really want their company around you because I've met people and I've just not given a shit, like not in a rude way. I'm still nice, but I mean like you know, you just know that you're not really going to click and you probably won't speak again. And you're just kind of like, oh, I don't need to be nervous because like, I don't see anything coming of this. But if you 
are embarrassed and nervous and shy. It's kind of like, you know, that new feeling you get when you speak to someone that you're romantically interested for the first time and you get like butterflies. It's a good feeling. Don't confuse the butterflies with anxiety though. That's a common thing. But I think that sometimes embarrassment from making new friends comes from putting people on a pedestal. And you shouldn't do that because everybody's human. But I think sometimes it's just like an innate thing that you can't really you can't really help. But I think those feelings of embarrassment are the cost of making friends. You know, they they happen. Whether we want to be embarrassed or not, it happens. And without that, without that discomfort, there's no room to be vulnerable and to grow in this new friendship. And it's kind of poetic and beautiful that we feel those things when we start speaking to someone new. But I promise you, you'll look back and laugh. And I think if you can remember that in the moment that one day this will just be a funny memory, that will get you through. So I feel like I've answered a similar question before in a previous podcast episode, or like it's a theme that I mention a lot, but I'm gonna answer this one because I think it's important. Someone said how to like being in your own company. And in my opinion, you have to become your best friend first. And you can only do that by spending time alone, even if it's uncomfortable. Even if you don't enjoy it at first, it's kind of like going cold turkey. Like, it's a nuisance. Not that I've ever gone cold turkey, but like, it's a nuisance. You don't want to do it, but you become better because of it. And so, I mean, I think this pandemic is probably the best time to do it. Take yourself out on dates. Go out for coffee by yourself. Go get breakfast by yourself. Go to the cinema by yourself. Go to the theatre. I mean, when those things open. Because you'll start to realise that when you're when you're doing these things, ordinarily, if you do them with someone else, you kind of have a plan set up, right? Like, either you're thinking, oh, we'll just do what they want to do, and you, like, try and please them, or you come to a compromise on things that you want to do. You, you never really get to do it the way that you would just do it if you were by yourself, which is a cool thing to experience because when you do things by yourself, you realize so much about yourself. You realize that maybe you don't like the things that you once did. And I always think that it's super interesting when you realize these things about yourself and it becomes kind of addicting to discover these parts of yourself, but you can only learn them when you're alone. And so even if you don't want to do it, just take a day, just take a day out of your schedule, on your diary, whatever, and say, I'm going to do the things that I enjoy doing with other people by myself, and we'll see how this goes. And then do that every week or every month. And soon it will become like a second nature to you to just do things by yourself and enjoy your own company, because you've only got you in this life, and you are the only person that knows what you truly want and what you truly want to do and what you like doing. And so if you're constantly exposing yourself to those things, constantly doing things by yourself, I promise you, you will start to enjoy your own company but you have to bite the bullet first. You have to just go through with it. Take the step, take the leap. Do something by yourself that scares you. The rest will fall into place. Okay, so someone else also asked about traveling and whether they should get a work visa and stay somewhere or they should travel. My simple answer is always, always, always travel. Travel while you can and travel whilst you have the funds and the availability because life gets busier and busier as it goes on, right? And so, you don't want to look back and be like, fuck, I should have just gone then. Just do it. Just do it. I honestly think, like, just deal with the consequences when they happen. Maybe that's not the best way to live, but that's how I live. And that's what I would recommend to everybody. Because at the end of the day, everything will work out. Everything will be fine. But the more you put things off, it's like, if you want to travel, you're going to do it. You'll find a way, right? So why put it off? Just do it now. You have the time. You have the funds. Do it now. 
and then you can get on with life and whatever new chapters are coming for you. But you've got this one out of the way. And I think that you should travel forever anyway, if you can, like, you know, go on holidays in the summer or whatever. But if it's something that you're genuinely debating, just do it. I think traveling is always the correct choice. Staying in the same place can get boring sometimes. And you can always come back to that place. That country isn't going to leave you. But traveling is something that is very based on time and where you're at in your life. And I guess that if you're asking that question now, you have the time to travel. So just do it. Just do it, babe. I believe in you. But thank you for everyone that sent in a question. I answered as many as I could. Um, There are some things that I genuinely have no experience on. And I don't want to give you bad or wrong advice. So. I, I think there's like two questions I didn't answer, but yeah, thank you for everyone that sent in a question and I hope this episode was insightful and can help anyone in any way. Um, and I'll talk to you guys next week.